Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the English Happy Hour podcast. In today's show, we talk about finding the first fall fish, fantasy sports, jerk baits on spinning rods, and bass fishing beef. Hope you guys enjoy the show. But before we go any further, I want to tell you guys that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. I've personally trusted the Hercules TerraTrack AT2 and Power ST2 to get my truck and boat trailer to every event around the country safely for the past two years. These tires are long-lasting, quiet on the road, and most importantly, incredibly reliable. If you're in the market for a new set of truck or trailer tires, head over to HerculesTires.com and see why these tires are such an incredible value. You can also find out more by following Hercules Tires on Facebook or Instagram at Hercules Tires. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Angler's Happy Hour podcast. It's a Thursday morning and uh, we're up bright and early, ready to talk fishing again. Um, before uh i've had a relatively busy week myself just with some random stuff but before i get into it let's see what's going on with the guys um nick what are you up to this morning man oh not a whole lot over my way either man it's uh it's another rainy day here in gilbert i uh what a nice summer we're having it's bummer when you live in a mud bog and you're you know kind of have to pump it all out of your backyard but hey we'll take it man we live in a desert any rain is good rain that's a good, you know what? I hadn't even looked outside yet, but I'm looking at the radar as you speak and there is some stuff in the area. That's pretty nice, man. Oh, it woke me up like twice during the night. We had like wind and a little, I don't know if it was thunder, but we definitely, I bet we've got almost an inch of rain because the, the uh, pit for the dead bodies in our backyard is about, <laughs> is about four feet deep and it is like flat with water, like straight across. So it all drains into the dead body pit, but uh, Stop. It, it takes a lot of water to fill that thing up. <laughs> so weird dude that is that, beautiful that thing held water you know because we've had such a wet summer that thing i figured it would just drain out but i think our soil here is well a it's been compacted a, a bunch of times and then b the makeup of it for whatever reason just doesn't drain it so we had a bunch of rain you know back in three weeks a month ago and then it just stayed in there for like five or six days and it got so funky. It was like, there was moss in it. It turned like dark brown, almost black. And it realized, I realized that it wasn't going anywhere until I did something. So you'll love this. I went to Home Depot and I bought like a basement sump pump and like a, a monkey humping a football. I attempted to try and pump all of this out and uh, it didn't go super smoothly at first, but I got it sorted. But so I bought a pump and then I bought a hose and uh, it was just muddy, slippery, everything. Long story short, dude, I took a face full of six day old black Ooh. swamp water to the face, man. Right. And like under pressure too. With the oh. So I was like waiting for like Giardia and like all of the most incredible diseases to come at me. It went through like eyes, nose, mouth. <laughs> That was so funny. At first, I was a little concerned. And strangely, it didn't have much of a taste. You would think if you took that much gross water, you'd be tasting it. But didn't get diarrhea, got the water pumped out, and I survived. But I'll be having that task again, I can tell, after this storm. Should have just left it and throw, threw some largemouth in there. They'll live in anything. Dude, that's so funny. My neighbor behind me, he has this crazy golf course because he loves golf. He's like, are you going to build a pond in your backyard or what? Come on. Like, So you and he are on the same wavelength. <laughs> hilarious dude 
Uh, yeah, but other than that, not a whole lot, man. Um, the same neighbor, I thought this was pretty funny. The same neighbor, we're, we're good buddies, and uh, his son turned five. So it was like, hey, you know, Saturday night, we're having a birthday party. Come on over. Yeah, no problem. And, dude, we went in there, and it was a straight-up rave. All the lights were turned off. Black lights were the only lighting. They had, like, neon glow-in-the-dark balloons, like the little uh, neon light thingies that you can crack and wear like a necklace. Can't think what those are called. But the kicker was it was monster truck theme, so somehow this connects. We went into their house. They had a mechanical bowl set up in their living room. And For a five-year-old's birthday party. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be wrong if you didn't think I climbed on top of that thing. And I still have no hair on my inner thighs and like abrasions and burns from it. But That's from the video they sent that yeah, you well, sent us? That was the warm-up video. And then it got a little bit more hot and heavy. As it was pretty on. mellow in what you yeah, sent us. Yeah, we need the hot and heavy video, dude. That, that was like sitting on a park bench, man. No, not, not true. <laughs> I just think <laughs> about Brad Height when I see that yes. video. <laughs> yes. Dude, well, I'll never live up to brow height. That's all you need to know about that. Yeah, Brett right can on. ride him some mechanical bulls, man. No Rob, doubt. I bet you can ride a mechanical bull. I bet in your never day, tried. You, I probably uh, never would either. I you're never such have. a you're such a sandbag. There's nothing to gain, dude, by no. doing that. Not I don't drink enough to do that. There's a, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny, dude. Well, at least it was a good party, and uh, it sounds like you got some pretty fun neighbors, honestly. So that's, that's pretty cool. Good time has had, man. Yeah, so yeah. all good. What's, uh, right what's up your way, Rob? Not a whole lot. I mean, that's pretty baller status to be bringing in that type of stuff, but we don't have Dude. that going on in the neighborhood. Our neighborhood seems to be quite a bit older for some reason, but uh, not a lot of fun parties. Uh, Boyd and I, we just put a an Atlas hydraulic jack plate on, on my boat, uh, what, two days ago? I'm still getting it all finished up, but we got all the heavy work done. Went and rented a little tow behind. Have you ever towed one of those engine hoists? That was no way. Yes. They got How little was teeny, that? It was about 30 miles an hour all the way <laughs> for about, I mean, it was 15 miles from my house, surface streets only. So I asked the guys, he's hooking it up. I said, how do these things tow? And I said, is, you know, we're good to go down the freeway. Right. I was kidding, of course, <laughs> <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, we, we did that. That was pretty handy. Um, got that all done. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Was it, uh, was the, was it, I mean, relatively easy to, to it really was. Yeah. 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 When we got done, Boyd's like, yeah, that was kind of fun. He goes, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So it's just typical, you know, loosen stuff up and, move it back and tighten where do it back you up, so. where do you grab like when you lift the outboard like so with that so mercury i think it's a mercury part they make um a thing that screws right into the flywheel and it's got a like a ring on the top my buddy blaine okay. had one because he just put a new four stroke on his boat so uh, he bought that tool and let me borrow it so you just literally hook the engine hoist onto that pump it up and it's so simple so. nice yeah. Were your bolts, uh, you know, on your jack plate and then connecting your jack plate to the hull tight, dude? Like, uh, do so, you keep, do you maintain that? Do you keep checking those or not really? I, I, I wish I could say I do, but I don't think I've touched those bolts in 12 years. Yeah, dude, I, I don't do it enough either myself. I'll do it be yeah. right before I'm about to go on a giant body of water and that's it. But yeah, how, I would say the, the bolts between the jack plate and the, in the hull, could have used a, maybe a 
quarter turn. I mean, they oh wow, that's not bad at all. Nothing at all. And then the ones to the jack plate were solid. I mean, they were they were so solid and kind of corroded like that. I I replaced them all. Just they they were rough looking. So right on. Yeah, and we ended up the wor- the hardest part was we ended up galling one of the big bolts. Uh, so I had to cut it off with a little metal cutoff wheel. That was a chore and yeah, I'm glad dude. it was one that was easy to get to. So that would have been a, it was just the motor went on a little sideways and probably nicked one of the threads. And then I ran it on with the impact and it was probably uh. not the right choice. So. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, yeah, seriously, dude. Thank yeah. God it wasn't an easy one to get to. That could have made it. Yeah. Yeah, it would have, that would have been an epic fail there. So after that, obviously, I used the ratchet and put them on and slowed down a little bit instead of trying to get all funky with it. But moral of the story: had I done it, I would have galled a bolt that you couldn't get to. So <laughs> I, I know yeah. how that would go. <laughs> yeah, so I just uh, I still have to run some. Well, actually, I ran the wiring yesterday, hooked up the switch, and opted just to do the little rocker switch, not the the blinker not the 170 dollar double blinker from tnh <laughs> not the gauge and stuff oh uh yeah i went super cheap on it yeah so. yeah that's cool right yeah. on man sweet um and uh, you're probably gonna get the boat on the water tomorrow huh yeah we're going fishing tomorrow so i'm excited awesome heck yeah that's See cool how it runs and then i'm hoping in january i'm gonna repower that thing so it's gonna be like a brand new boat i'm so excited about it so nothing less than a 400 that's all I have to say about repowering it. Yeah, that would be interesting on there for sure. Yeah, I need to worry about tournament fishing, man. Just go for the most horsepower possible. It's always been my recipe in life. Smart. Speaking of that, though, like I'm so I mentioned we were looking at stuff in Minnesota. We're we're going to be up there no matter what if we buy or not for a month next next summer. And dude, I I'm so like into their tournaments up there. And I may get up there and fish one and be like, eh, whatever. But uh, it's, it's fun to watch them. And, and actually today I'm watching, uh, the it's classic bass. They have their champions tour, uh, and their championship is today on Malax. And those guys are absolutely whacking giant smallmouth. So it's pretty cool. Let me, let me pull it up a little bit. Um, it's actually going on right now, but I want to look at, let's see past events and josh tell me if this is you know the weights of the bass pro tour type stuff but they had a tournament on pelican lake i think it was last week or the week prior the gentleman that won it so they fish uh from seven till eleven i think all their tournaments are the same okay so they fish four hours in the morning all the guys have to make it back to the uh, launch site by 11 so that's a little bit different than bass pro tour where you just stop fishing right yep Yep. These, these guys need to make it back and they have a penalty, a pound per minute. Up Interesting. To minutes. Um, and then they eat lunch. Like they feed them lunch, which is nice. pretty cool. That's kind of, that's, that's, that's my what we kind do of the fishing right for there. Sure. Yeah. Right. That's cool. <laughs> um, and then they go back out and fish another four hours from like noon to, to four o'clock. Okay. Uh, but what I've noticed a lot of the tournaments, and I'm not sure if they do it on all of them, they cut the lake in half and you can only fish like say the West side, the first four hours. And then the east side, the next four. So, uh, think so they about, make you actually adjust to new water yes. halfway through the day. That's pretty, that's now that's really interesting, actually. Maybe Very interesting. Like and those, they don't know where the line is going to be. They don't know if it's north, south, east, west. They have no idea where this huh. line's going to be when it comes to practice. So they drop that on them, I believe, the morning of the tournament. So they gotta they really have to fish kind of everywhere, dude. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they had, they have three tournaments a year and then their championship, their angler of the year is done through four tournaments, um, championship included. Um, but their third tournament was on Pelican Lake. So they fish all these big, like, I guess they're kind of famous bodies of water in Minnesota. Um, and the gentleman won it, Adam Rasmussen, uh, 27, I'm sorry, 247 pounds, 10 ounces for 98 fish in eight in, hours. In one day? Eight hours. Think about that. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. That's, yes. that is unbelievable. Like, I don't know if you could, well, obviously you can, but obviously he was catching them on like, uh, you know, jig headed worms and stuff that you imagine catching them on jerk baits. I don't think you could take off 98 no. fish. And, Dude, you, know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I doubt it's alone a reel spinning them in. rod. I doubt it's anything with a spinning rod. No, you they know, are fishing spinning rods. I watched part of it. My and these, God. They're from Minnesota, dude. Spinning rods are way ahead of bait casters. I'm not bagging on them, but that's just like, like Minnesota guys and spinning rods. That's what they grow up. Fishing. Yeah, I just I'm thinking like it takes so long to reel one in on a spinning rod. He yeah. he had to have been getting bit every cast. Yep, yep that's for crazy, sure. dude. So, I, that's I yeah. mean, we fished seven and a half hours on Bass Pro Tour, and okay. the record is 160 pounds. Holy cow! So. That's that's a hundred pounds above the record yep, on the back. Just shy of a hundred, yep. So second place was 105 pounds eight ounces, which so he he won, which is amazing still. But yeah, his average was solid. He only had 32 bass for 105. Wow. Um 98 bass, dude. Yeah, pretty insane, dude. Big weights. Just to give you an idea, let's go down to like 20th place. The guy had 25 bass for 53 pounds. It just shows what type of fishing they have up there. That's phenomenal. And, yeah, and Pelican Lake, like, dude, I bet 90% of the listeners have not heard of Pelican Lake, man. I haven't. So check this out too. This is a breakdown, um, which I think is kind of cool. They do largemouth and smallmouth that count. Uh, in, the, in the eight hours, I caught 969 largemouth for 1,840 pounds and 136 smallmouth for uh, 265 pounds. Wow. So obviously that was a largemouth dominant tournament, but yeah. still, so yeah. What, uh, how many guys fish the tournaments? They have a uh, 50 man field. Okay. So the championship is- or anyone can fish? I, I don't know. I'm not yeah, sure. Right I haven't even looked into it just cause it's, it's such a stretch for me. It would be a long time before That's I could so do crazy, that. But, um, yeah, I think so an amazing a, plot twist would be what they fed him for lunch. Like something that's really heavy and makes you tired. So bunch like of not dudes, only, a bunch of dudes from Minnesota feed him some green chili burritos and see what happens. <laughs> wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be amazing? Like you may have had a great morning, but now you need to take down seven, seven bratwursts. That's no, they're down with too. the brats, dude. They'd be fine in that route. You need oh, to yeah. throw them a curveball. Uh, it's like, well, the morning was good, but after lunch, <laughs> I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> no, I hear you. That's Moving funny. On. That is interesting, man. That's really cool. Yeah, um, but there's, I mean, it's obviously the the top end fisherman from Minnesota because there's, I think James Linder is in it. Um, the Capras, I'm sure you've heard of the Capras. Yeah, yeah. Um, just names that like I never knew I'd really recognize other than I just recognize them just from you read about them or what, so pretty cool. What an interesting deal. That's cool, yep. man. I have to check it out here when we're done podcasting. Um, well, that's cool. And, um, yeah, hopefully that jack plate works out, man. Um, on my end, it's been, it's, it's been kind of a weird, funky week. I've been very busy, but 
it's just like, you know, it's one of those weeks where you're busy all day and then at the end of the day, you don't have like a bunch of tangible results for what, what you got done. So it's, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot done, done a lot, but at the same time, it's like, dang, you know, it's, what did I do? So, you know, it's, it's hard as that, as weird as that sounds. Um, we did have our fantasy football draft last night for, uh, for the uh, fishing league that I'm in. So nice. that was, it was good. Um, is Lucas back? Lucas is out still. He's still, uh, it was too much for him, man. He was too scared to play. So we've All got right. the Lee brothers, James Elam, Cody Meyer, um, Jonathan Van Dam's in this year, Alton Jones Jr., Cliff Crochet, uh, Lintner, Brett Height, and uh, I feel like I'm still missing uh, one, one or two. But anyways, it's a competitive it's, – it's gotten very competitive. Um, so it's going to be fun. Like, you know, the draft was pretty serious last night. And Cliff, man, he's so classic. Last year I told you guys he drafted all Saints players and LSU graduates. And uh, this year again, dude, he has got – but w- we were all laughing at him. He ended up almost winning. He finished second in the league. He made it to the uh, championship game. And, again, dude, there were a couple times uh, last night where I was drafting a couple spots after him, and I'd have my eye on a player. And I'm like, no way is it going to get – no way am I going to get this guy because, like, anyone with common sense would take, would take him in the next spot. And he would blow right by him, not even take him, and take some <laughs> random uh, Louisiana-based player, dude. So uh, thank you very much for uh, leaving so many players on the board for me, Cliff. I'm excited to see how it goes. But I thought <laughs> I had a – dude, and, and who knows, this this predictor – and fantasy football is all just a crapshoot, as you know anyone that's ever played knows. But um, I was feeling great through the draft. Like, I got a good, solid team. It's really deep. Um, and then at the end of the draft, there's a predictor and it tells you like what, what you're predicted to finish at the end of the year. And I was like, I can't wait to see what the predictor says. I feel good about this. These guys are in trouble. And then I was ninth out of 10 uh, on the predictor (laughs) cliff, of course, being 10th dude. (laughs) Nice. It's got, uh, you know, it shows like uh, the estimated points that your team is going to score, you know, 61. it's just an estimate, you know, but the first week I'm like 120, which is normal. Like that's what pretty much everyone's at. Crochet has got 90 uh, for the first week. So we'll see, we'll see what happens, but it was fun. I'm excited for that to start back up. And uh, just speaking of, speaking of Cliff, also want to just send a shout out to anyone that uh, is living down in Louisiana right now or anywhere that got affected by Hurricane Ida, we were watching it really closely, and um, I don't know, man. That was part of, you know, I was in a little bit of a just a funk earlier this week. I wasn't really, not a lot was coming to me to to talk about on a podcast, and that was part of it, man. I was just watching this hurricane because um, we've got so many friends that live down there, and um, you know, just it's it's such a weird thing because you know, for days it's bearing down, and a lot of times. Um, just from watching these from the outside, it, they end up get, you know, the, the forecast ends up improving and it ends up not being as bad as they hope. But this one, man, they said it was going to be bad and it's, it was bad all the way through. And, um, you know, it never, it, it apparently it stayed as a category four hurricane six hours after landfall, which is like unprecedented. Even some of these terribly destructive hurricanes, they get downgraded pretty quickly after they 
make land, but this thing was still 150 mile an hour wind, you know, as it tore up through the state. So uh, they got, they uh, were in a world of hurt, man. So thinking about anyone that was affected by that for sure. I know have you heard from listeners down there. Have you heard from Gerald at all? Gerald's doing okay. Yeah. Um, you know, it, they, Gerald is, Gerald stayed, he lives in Gonzales, Louisiana, and he stayed there just literally to start cleanup faster. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people went north and, and tried to get to where there was going to be less destruction, but Gerald obviously can handle himself better than most people um, as far as just being able to uh, withstand difficult situations like that. He's got a military background. He was in the Navy and he's just, he's been through that so many times. And um, his house was, was relatively spared. There was some damage, but he's got a camp that a fish camp that he's been building working on for the last year in new Orleans. And I don't know, I, I can't imagine that thing made out very well. It stinks. You work on it for a whole year and then just the light light switch like that. And who knows what he's got to start on there, but I mean, he's, he's, he's okay. His family's okay. So that's good. Go ahead, man. Was that, was that his house that was, he had everything anchored down with vehicles. Did you see that? He I had, did not see that dude. Oh, like he had a um, maybe a front loader, some kind of tractor. He had like his truck underneath any roof and then ratchet strapped down to the vehicle to hold these roofs on. <laughs> like, like I was looking through and I'm just like scrolling through my Instagram and I saw that and I was like, and then I started paying attention to what was going on there. And it was, he was holding for the roof basically. Yeah. That's unbelievable, dude. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, and that's a veteran move right there. That's veteran probably move. one of the reasons why yeah. he, he got through that more unscathed than most, most, yeah. but um, yeah, there was, I mean, there was serious doubt that he was going to even be able to come to the next tournament. You know, I was like, Hey man, if, if there's obviously can't do much for you right now for where you live, but if I can help with anything for the tournament, let me know. And he's like, dude, I hope I can even go, you know, and you're talking two weeks out, you know, he's yeah. like, there's a great chance that we're going to be cleaning up for months and uh, uh, we'll see if I can even go. And, and I haven't, haven't bugged him very much this week, but he's, he's coming to the tournament. Everything's good. okay. So that's, good. I mean, that's a, that's a good sign for sure. Yeah. All win. Yep. Yep. For yeah. sure. But um, anyways, uh, we, we got a, uh, we got some fishing stuff to talk about here. We've got a, uh, we have one listener question that I wanted to touch on. As always, I always pass, pass it over and can't find it when it's time to talk about it. But, um, this one is from Eric. He said, uh, Eric's from Northern California and he's got a question on jerkbait fishing. Do any of you fish jerkbaits with spinning gear? If so, what line do you prefer? I found on my casting setup, I like 10 pounds straight floral, but I've been leaning towards getting a spinning setup, especially for smaller jerk baits and overall castability. And uh, man, you know, I'll throw this over to you guys, but I, I think Eric is, he's spot on with the setup he's already using. And I think he's really smart to be open-minded enough to, and, and also um, man enough to say, to, to be willing to, try it on a spinning rod, you know, in certain circumstances where it might be a little bit more effective. Now, do you guys ever go to a spinning rod on smaller or lighter jerk baits? Go ahead, Rob. Um, you know, I, I know I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but you know, since I've guided for the last 10 years, spinning rods have become a lot more important in my boat. And prior to guiding, I would never throw it on a, on a spinning rod, but that was just out of ignorance. 
because I throw it on a spinning rod all the time now. Um, and if I do throw it on a baitcaster, he's spot on with his 10 pound fluorocarbon. You know, I throw it on like a 6'10 or a seven foot, you know, pretty light action baitcaster. But with the spinning rod setup, I've got kind of a pretty basic system when it comes to my spinning rods and guiding and it's 10 pound power pro probably any, any 10 pound, uh, fluorocarbon would, or uh, 10 pound braid would work. And then I do a fluorocarbon leader, either a 10 pound fluorocarbon leader or an eight pound. And I've had, you know, clients catch a ton of fish on that setup and it's perfect. And quite often, like I said, I mean, I'll, I'll go fishing and instead of sitting down and rigging up a jerk bait on another rod, I've got it on a spinning rod from a guide trip prior. I'll just throw it on that and it works perfect. That's um, cool. Yeah. There's one thing, you know, that you're going to, you think about the castability and um, I do like on a, on a 110 or 112 size jerk bait, which you do throw a lot. I'm still going to reach for a bait caster. That's a big bait. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of the jerk baits nowadays have really good weight transfer systems to where you can cast them really good. Like, you know, when I started bass fishing, jerk baits were not castable baits they didn't have weight transfer <laughs> systems in them you know they were just it was one of those things they were just always hard to cast they were like little potato chips but now <laughs> a lot of the jerk baits and that's what makes a good jerk bait like you know with castability look at berkeley for instance and look at the evolution of the jerk baits in, with berkeley since i've been with them and the first cutter that they came out with you know eight years ago it was a fish catching bait but to be completely honest, it didn't cast that great. It didn't have that weight transfer system and that made it frustrating to fish. And um, now the new jerk bait that they came out with the Stunna actually has a weight transfer system. And dude, if the, if those two baits side by side had the same exact action and color and you went out fishing all day, and switch back and forth guaranteed you'd catch more fish on the stunner because you're just making more efficient casts. You know, you're not going to ever make a cast where the wind takes it or it doesn't catch the air right and you miss the bank by 15 feet. It's going to land where you try to cast it every time. So anyways, that's a really big deal having a good casting jerk bait, but for smaller jerk baits, it's really nice to be able to go to a spinning rod like Rob is talking about and the other thing is your action of the bait is going to be completely different. It's raining outside right now. But your action with, uh, say, a, a 10-pound fluorocarbon, a medium-light rod with a bait caster, if you twitch that thing the exact same twitch that you twitch a spinning rod with braid, the bait's going to act completely different because the braid has zero stretch and the spinning rod's just, you know, going to have a different action too. So, like, do you find that you're twitching your bait, like you're actually giving it maybe a little bit lighter twitch with the spinning rod because that jerk, because that braid is uh, so responsive compared to fluorocarbon. Yeah, definitely. But the, <laughs> the reason it works for me for guiding is it's hard to get clients to jerk a jerk bait the way you want them to jerk it. Okay. Right. So with the braid, it helps you, you know, get that. They'll jerk it. A, you do get that just, quick snap. Yeah. You just, it's just better. Right. Cause it's hard to get people to, to really fish a jerk bait the way you want them to. Um, but I mean, if I, to be honest with you, if I get serious about it, I'm going to use the bait caster. And that's another thing that I found from guiding too, is I went and purchased uh, a couple of the DC reels 
with the little computer chip in them thinking I was going to have clients that couldn't throw bait casters, throw bait casters. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not going to make out. it. It's not going to no. help. Them, huh? <laughs> but uh, you put 10 pound fluorocarbon on one of those and throw a jerk bait, you can throw it an absolute mile. And it really, I know it's, it's a cheesy sound. I hate that noise and stuff it makes, but it, uh, that's a game changer. I shouldn't say game changer. It helps ah, a lot. <laughs> drinking game. I was yeah. say half of America took a shot. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a great point. Uh, but, is if you're going to use a bait caster, it, this is, this is one of the scenarios where it's worth spending the extra money, whatever yeah. brand you're using to, to high quality. Use, reel. Yeah. Very, the highest end reel that you can afford the best reel that you own. This is what you want to use it for. You don't yeah. need it for your chatter bait. You don't need it for your deep diving crankbait or even your flipping stick. This is what you have that that high end reel for, for sure. I just, I laugh at what we used to throw the rogues on. I mean, we would throw a rogue on the, I just had garbage for tackle when we threw it. Right. And you made it work. those things were less than a potato chip. That was like <laughs> a half a potato chip. That was the bag actually that they come in. <laughs> so, That's good, dude. That was we would throw them all day. And it like, just imagine if they were, the castability was better, you know? Yep. But you'd catch them on the rogue, right? I mean, that's like oh. legendary status. Oh, those things were phenomenal. So we, I think what we did is we kind of leaned towards the real big rogues. I know I gave Josh a few of those years yep. and years ago. Some of the old originals. You can't even buy those, can you? Dude, I don't even know, to be honest. Yeah. I, I really don't. You but, may, they maybe re, redesigned it or re, you know remade it because it was yeah. in demand back in the day. I mean, from back in the day, but I don't know. To be honest with you, a lot of the reason that we went to those bigger ones was just to be able to cast them better. So that's interesting, right? On that makes sense. Yeah. When well, you're talking cool. about your best reel, I'm assuming you want, um, if we're talking like ideal scenarios, fast gear ratio, right? Picking up slack. With a jerk, you know, with a jerk bit, it doesn't matter a ton, really. Yeah. You know, for me personally, I do like that um, because you're working the bait exclusively with the rod. So even if it's just for the end of the cast, you know, you you, you quit. Sometimes you jerk it, jerk it all the way back to the boat. Sometimes you don't, man. You know, just depending on um, what type of stuff you're fishing. But I do use a fast reel just because there's to me there's nothing to lose by it. But um it, i don't know everyone's different rob what do you think dude i just use the six to two whatever that i mean i guess that's not a fast reel anymore oh no for, yeah for me that's i mean those were the fastest reels we had and I, i've got a couple sevens i think but i don't have any of the eights or i mean i don't know i just i guess so I'm not old. a big deal yeah cool yeah. i don't think so i mean we used to throw 3.8 to one reels i mean <laughs> for cranking and the old is that like hand lining where you like go hand over hand basically? Yeah, you could wrap it around a Coke can or a Budweiser <laughs> yeah. can quicker than you could reel in. The crankbait's <laughs> actually floating up if you don't reel. You're like reeling, reeling medium speed and the crankbait's actually coming up. You got to burn it to keep the crankbait uh, down. Kneeling and reeling and burning and it's still floating up. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. But yeah, it probably doesn't, you know, just it doesn't matter a ton. But if, if you are buying a reel for it, I mean, I don't see a reason to not buy a fast reel for this scenario when one bites it. And, and yeah, a lot of times jerk baits, you are fishing because they will eat it right at the boat. But there are times like where you're jerk baiting docks and stuff. Um, you know, back east, it's very popular to jerk bait down the side of the dock or whatever. And, you know, you're 40 feet from the dock, 
you jerk it past the end of the dock and then you reel it in. And if you reel it in 500 times through the course of the day and your bait gets in five seconds faster every single time, how many extra casts is that at the end of the yeah, day? That's so, huge. Right. Yeah. It, it's just efficiency in some circumstances. That's all. Yep. Um, so that was a good question, Eric. Thank you uh, very much for sending that in, man. Uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about jerkbait fishing. Uh, fall is right around the corner. Every single podcast you guys listen to, they're going to have an episode where they talk about fall fishing and fall transition. And I mean, it's just, uh, it's appropriate because it's that time of year. We have, we talked all summer long about how the fish are so, a lot of times are consistent through the summer. They stay in the same depth range. You can catch them kind of on similar spots throughout the course of the summer. And we're getting to a point, even though it's still warm here in Arizona, the fish are, are going to start changing real quick. And no matter where you're at, if you're in the Northeast, you know, as soon as September rolls around, you're thinking about the fall Northeast or just up North in general. Um, and if you can be, you don't want to be the guy that's stuck out on those summertime ledges, getting your butt kicked in your, in your, you know, team championship or whatever, whatever uh, September tournament you're fishing. If you can be one of the guys that, that gets off of that, stale bite that's dissipating and um and find something that's starting to develop you could be ahead of the game so it's it's probably worth talking about now like rob have you i know you haven't been on the water as much as normal this summer but have you already seen you know on some of our lakes fish getting off of their regular summer stuff yeah for sure and you know i think a lot of that has to do with our, our unusually wet summer here um, the monsoons definitely change the fish a lot, but, um, just more from hearsay, uh, a buddy went up to Roosevelt last week and like every bass in the lake was in 10 foot of water. And I mean, that's just, they're just moving. They're, they're getting shallower. Um, obviously our lakes are coming up a little bit. Our lakes fluctuate a lot here from heavy rain. So that's, you know, through the fish, a little curveball. but they're definitely changing and transitioning transitioning into their fall patterns so um they just had a tournament on roosevelt last week that was a, a rico and a so a popper and a buzzbait persuader buzzbait uh tournament only you could only have those two baits in your boat and i think they did it a month early i think i think if they would have waited another it would have i mean guys caught them but um I think majority of the fish haven't really made it to the bank like they like they will in a month from now. So yeah, and hopefully they do. <clears throat> Justin's a listener; he's a great guy, and uh, hopefully he will uh, you know hold a couple more of those this fall because it would be a blast in the fall. But yeah, you know I'm, I'm with you, dude. It's going to be uh, it, th th these are the first. Th I don't know if these are fish that have been living up there all summer long because there's some do, or if they're the first ones to transition into that stuff. But yeah, give it another month; it's going to be uh, unbelievable at yeah. that lake especially for sure yeah the guy that won had a six pounder so i mean that's a that's a solid bite but if you did it in my opinion if you did it a month later the guy that wins it might have you know three four pounders you know that's cool a three fish limit so but heck just yeah a thought yeah yeah 100 percent, man and it's it's there are some things when you start to ditch in your summertime stuff and get off of that you know there's some clues that you you know you need to find you need to see that to really know it's time to do it. But, um, you know, when, when the fish start getting up off the bottom, you know, a lot of times the fish are going to really get bait fish oriented if they weren't already through the summer, but in the fall, 
you know, whether your lake turns over or not, you know, most lakes do turn over and um, you're just going to start seeing less fish on the bottom, more fish suspended in the water column. Um, you start getting some cool nights and, and you've got to relocate this fish. And now the hard, that's the hard part, right? Do, do you just make a little move off of your summer spot or do you just completely, you know, go back to the drawing board and start fresh? And if you do, you know, one thing, and this came up on a, uh, a live cast I did earlier this week. I did one on the major league fishing um, page with Todd Faircloth and Brent Chapman and Todd made an awesome point. He talked about how he, when the fall transition starts and he starts fishing in the fall, he starts always in the back of, of a, in the very back of the Creek. If you pick a Creek that you're going to fish, he drives to the smack, very back of it and starts working his way out and that's such and it's it's a rule I try to live by too especially in the fall and there's a couple reasons the first reason is a lot of times that's the best I mean the, more often than not the back is going to be the best whether they're back there yet or not like at some point the back of that creek is going to be the best part of that creek in the fall but the other reason for me anyways is if it's a big creek if I don't start in the back I may get bored with that creek before I get to the back and move on and, and end up getting beat by someone out of the back. So if you start in the back, you're at least covering the highest percentage thing and, and the hardest to get to thing first, right? Like if, it, if you got to idle through some stumps and, you know, if you start at the mouth of this three mile long creek and you, and you don't catch anything, you don't catch much, you know, you fish for 45 minutes, you move a little further back, fish for another half hour, and then you got to idle through another <clears throat> stump field or shallow, over shallow sandbar or something to get to the back, you're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to fish. This creek sucks anyways. I'm going to go to the next one. So get to the very back, in my opinion. Start there and then uh, fish your way out. Do you guys yeah, how, uh, agree? how often do you hear a guy say he has a pattern where he's catching them uh, halfway back into every creek? <laughs> yeah, more, more often it's like it that's just, more like of a pre-spawn type correct. deal. Yeah, because they're working so their way the in, right? right. Yep. In the fall, yep. they seem to just get there because they're – maybe down in the channel working their way in. I mean, it's just hard to, it's hard to duplicate halfway back in a Creek as you can. <laughs> totally. And dude, and in the, in the fall, it's not, it's so much more um, bait and uh, bait fish and spot specific than it is pattern specific to me. Like you might have 10 big creeks on a lake and two of them could be amazing and eight of them could be just absolutely worthless because maybe uh, some of them are turning, the water's turning over, they're in different parts of the lake and the water's turning over sooner than others or happened later than others. And uh, just the bait or just in one creek or another. But man, when you get a, 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 you find that bait and you start catching a couple fish, like you can actually re rework it and recycle it and, and live in a creek that time of year. And it's, it's so often, you know, if you get around the right stuff, it's timing based and uh, you might have like a, a creek that's got some bait fish and be able to go back to the same lay down tree or row of, of bushes or, you know, rocky bank and just catch a fish every single time you hit it throughout the course of the day. I don't know. But um, have you guys, have you guys ever been in a scenario like that where you just kind of do circles around a creek all day long in the, in the fall? Uh, I, I don't know. I, 
I haven't really experienced that a whole lot here. I mean, I've experienced where you're just running creeks, but you'll 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 go back to one and catch them out of it for sure. Because there's definitely fish in there, but you disturb them the first time through after you've caught one or two, and then you just keep hitting the same stuff over and over. I agree with that for sure. Right, right on, right on. What kind of yeah. stuff do you like to throw? I mean, if they're shallow, so it's reaction stuff. Top water we mentioned. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all about shad, right? So you can catch them a lot of different ways, but just, uh, you know, a lot of times to me anyways, smaller baits that imitate shad. I love starting to throw in top water, you know, even starting now that Chapo 90 from Berkeley is probably my favorite in a bone color. It's like my favorite top water to throw. I'll tie one of those on, on a rod with braid at the, you know, right now and have it tied on until November. Mm-hmm. You're not, not you're just change the hooks on them as the hooks get jacked up. So, um, that's, that's my favorite, you know, uh, lip, uh, shallow running cranks, like a square bill, um, spinner baits, vibrating jigs. What am I missing, Rob? Did you say buzz bait? No, no. I mean, I said top water. So yeah, buzz bait would be a huge, huge bait for sure. Yeah. Uh, a rig, if you're looking mm-hmm. for bigger bites and, and, and you're in an area that's clear with the, a little bit of depth. Did you guys see sidebar and this is irrelevant, but I sent you a, a link to an offer up for a really nice umbrella rig that we must have a local custom bait builder making. That thing's pretty sweet. You guys want me to grab you? A That's few of gotta them? be a joke, right? Oh my goodness. I mean, he's only asking 15. So he's definitely, you know, no, it's gotta be a joke, but that is so funny. I hope that someone gets some traction. It's got like a skirt, like a chartreuse fire tiger skirt with a Sanko coming out of the back. Of it. <laughs> it had like five Sankos on it, didn't it? <laughs> Well, it's a school of worms, right? That's kind of a fall <laughs> bite. You get the larva of a dragonfly, you know, and you get a school of them larva. That's where it's at. Dude, <laughs> hey, uh, on, and off of that, how about John Murray? Did you guys see that John Murray tip on uh, – Is that the, real? Uh, Emma- yeah. Well, I haven't talked to him about it, but he's not going to play a prank on the Major League Fishing uh, and do a video about it and stuff. So what he did, folks, was uh, with MLF on their uh, – on their social media, they do some, some tip videos and John took a treble hook on a drop shot rig and rigged three shad baits, one on each bend of the the treble treble. Dude, I, I don't, I mean, there's no way it's a joke, right? Rob Rob doesn't look convinced. Rob, next time we fish together, you have to throw that for the first three hours of the day. Dude. It's either the dumbest thing or the most genius thing ever. Well, and he's had a long career, so clearly it's a genius. He's just he's letting all of his secrets out of the bag now. He realizes that it's just time to let him out. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. It was very interesting to me. I don't know what it would look like in the water. I don't my, – my first thought, dude, I'm, I just – I hate losing fish so much. So my first thought was like, why would you want to hook him on a treble hook when you can hook him on a single hook? that has a super high landing ratio, but you're just bad know, at dude. math. You need three, you, two more hook points is way better than one. You're just bad at math. Simple math. I don't know. It's interesting, dude. Uh, if, if any of you guys have ever tried it or do try it, let us know. And we'll have to ask John Rob's yeah. speechless about this one. Rob's not buying it. I don't know. I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Um, it just is one of those things too. Like I want to get to Roosevelt because do you think top water 
I mean, we're fishing shallow for topwater, so this is irrelevant, but sometimes you talk about fish coming off the bottom and suspending. Topwater is a good way to entice them, right? Oh, like you yeah, can, you, absolutely, you can call man. them up. So you get yep. in the creek and they're suspended. I, I love topwater. That's just uh, it's where it's at. There's something about a topwater that can sometimes draw fish. Like you might have a fish that's, say, suspended eight feet below the surface, and you could reel a spinnerbait over his head. You could reel a swim bait over his head, and he's just not going to bite it then you just walk a top water over his head and he'll come twice as far to hit it. It's very interesting. The draw that and wake baits are the same way. I mean, the yeah. draw of a, of a wake bait when you could swim something closer to the fish and not have him bite it. Like it's just like a, it, it's got this mesmerizing pull, right? That's, that's like at Lake Mead when you're fishing that it's as clear as tap water, right? And, I don't know how many times I've had fish come straight. You know, they're swimming straight up. Like they're coming from a long way. 20 feet deep. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's no other way to jump over the bait. And that's, I mean. Dude, you watch them on live scope. Here's, uh, so we fished a tournament at uh, Chateau Lake in 2018. And I absolutely got my butt handed to me in that tournament. But it was very amazing. It was spotted bass fishing. And watching these fish, like you were fishing brush piles, man-made brush piles in 20 feet of water. And the top of the brush would be in like 16 feet. And you would see these fish sitting down in the brush pile. And there was not 16 feet of water visibility. You would throw a topwater bait in open water and start walking it over the brush pile. And on live scope, at the time it was just regular pan optics you'd watch the fish come up out of this brush pile the whole school of fish and absolutely demolish the bait and it's like and, and you throw anything else and you cannot get those fish to, to yeah. move you throw a drop shot into that brush pile they won't touch it but it's that surface disturbance and they're feeding up they're looking for something that just is going on on the surface is my take yeah it just it just talks to them though right like top water catches them and it catches big ones too that's the other thing that's cool talking about like just the mesmerizing effect of it it really seems like a leery large you know larger than the average fish that's harder to catch is vulnerable to top water and wake baits it's god it's just wonderful it's so glorious when it, you know you get really this is. time of year think about how many times you've had big smallmouth or a big largemouth for that matter following a walking bait uh-huh. and you see it and you can talk them into eating it just with the movements of it. Like you're trying sure. to get it away from them. They eat like it that, at the boat, dude. Yeah. That's you what I'm saying. Yeah. You can't not get them to eat it at the boat. There's like not too many baits. It. There's not too many yeah. baits that you can do that with, but you can do it with a topwater bait. Oh yeah. yeah. You're totally right. I bet you guys have, there's a, there's like a few that are just etched into my memory. Oh, that I'll never too. forget. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Eating there's it at a the boat. It's like the Jason Christie video out there. Like he talks them into eating that thing. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> well, he's fluent in many languages. Not, so the, uh, not the, not the Jason elite Christie Jason Christie, the other We're one. Not, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Slightly less than elite. Nearly <laughs> <Right>. elite. <laughs> yeah, I believe waking the dog was the technique. Um, Sorry. But- yeah, I just think of that every time with the walking the dog. Yeah, yeah. Waking the dog. Waking the dog. All right. Well, um, yeah. And last thing I want to throw into on uh, for looking for these transitional fish too, is if you, if you're on a grass lake, if you fish a grass lake anywhere in the country, um, 
grass is like a really big deal in the fall still. The key is just finding the good healthy grass, you know, but grass can be one of the most consistent, best ways to catch fish in the fall. The bait's still in it. Um, but you're just, you're really just looking for the last of the healthy grass and uh, just trying to ride that train until it, until it goes away. But um, don't nice, overlook that. Sorry, dude. Probably the nice thing about that too is that it concentrates it, right? So as grass dies off, you know, and there's less and less of the good stuff, the, the odds of finding a really nice honey hole go way up, right? Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent, man. Yeah. As, as that stuff dies, it, it just gets bad, but there's always, you know, some, uh, some, some good grass to find until you get to the winter, man, no matter what that body water is for yeah. sure. It's funny, random thought popped in my head talking about grass. When I had my kids at Saguaro last week, we were swimming and, uh, Dude, they were freaking out, you know, because it's a little pokey, you know, and it, a lot of it's dead now. So they were feeling the grass. Through. Oh, and they were losing their mind. They were sure they were getting bit by something. They thought it was like, and my wife was thinking it was a snake. It was the most, <laughs> I didn't want to say anything, dude. I was just sitting there like, it probably is, dude. I'd be careful if I was, you see why I'm not swimming? I, I don't know. I've seen stuff in this lake, but it's good stuff. You know, there's tons of dead grass now because it is, I don't think it's necessarily been cold enough to kill anything, but there's just always a percentage of dead grass just in the water column and good stuff dude and bluegills too bluegills are such little thugs like a three inch bluegill will come up to you and like peck at you like that that's pretty good man that's a personality type to be respected it's a good thing they're not 10 pounds (laughs) do you think they're just dumb though they're just the dumbest (laughs) fish like i mean how many times have you you could it's literally a fish that you could catch on a bare hook yeah. When you get oh, yeah. riled up, you just throw a little shiny hook and, and they bite it. The old gold Aberdeen special, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe yep. they just have anger issues. Maybe they're really smart. They're like those people that are really intelligent, but they have a short temper and they know better, but they just are repeat offenders. I'm going to go with that. They're probably just intelligent, but anger issues. That's it. But I mean, it, it, you bring it up, dude, it, that that ecosystem that was happening in your swimming area is what you want this time of year for fall fishing. I mean, if you're seeing those those little bluegills and stuff, and again, above (laughs) average size fish, dude, it's, there are a lot of tournaments in the Southeast that are one on frogs and vibrating jigs Uh um, and flipping on, you know, in, in that grass around bluegill this time of year. So it's one of the more stable, safe bets, especially for a big fish too, that you can, that you can find, man. But yeah, it's, it's uh, it's funny that they were they were getting frisky with you guys, dude. You know, and I'm just gonna make a sidebar about that. I've forgotten the intro to talk about that trip. We did another one of our little night cruises. Another one, huh? Yeah, it's great, man. Nice. We're having a good time with it, and things are fun. Although I'm a little worried, I'm getting old and my vision's going bad because I'm not afraid to put myself on blast, dude. When I I need to get a little bit more lighting on the old pontoon trailer, I was the asshole. Oops, sorry, I was the the jerk off at the ramp that I, I missed my trailer, dude. Like I, I whiffed hard and I got, you know, it was pretty classic. Cause I, I missed, even my wife was like, I don't think you're on. And I was like, what would lead you to believe that? Maybe the fact that we're like at a 90 degree angle. Oh man, to the rep. you got sideways. Yeah, not quite. Maybe it was like 77 degree angle. But uh, to my defense, I had a two-year-old writhing around on the floor screaming and it was really easy to concentrate. But we, uh, you know, that thing goes about seven miles an hour full throttle and uh and then once you get the canopy up i think it's like 5.5 but we ran all the way up to pretty much where the second bathrooms are at saguaro not quite we were at skunk's wash ran all the way up there to find a nice place to hang out and chill then my daughter had to go to the bathroom 
and it was the one that like you got to find facilities for. So we literally got there after launching 45 minutes prior, put everything back and drove all the way back because no one wants to drop, you know, do business in the second bathroom. So we drove all, it's like, this is boating with kids, dude, an hour and a half into the trip. And we've done nothing but do like a parade lap around while everyone sweats oh, and yeah. cries. Dude. Yeah. I mean, I, I can feel your pain a hundred percent there. <laughs> At least 100%. in a bass boat, you can go 40. Right. So it's like, yeah. all right, we'll like get back in the game and recreate. But in that thing, it's like, there's no recreating. I'm sure she had, she really enjoyed the speed of that pontoon boat too, all the way back. I'm sure she wasn't in any discomfort either. It was a toe curler. There was a lot of clenching. <laughs> oh, dang, man. That's funny. <laughs> but, oh, good, dude. Well, bluegills were, I was like, good times had by all. Bluegills were biting toes and, you know, no, uh, contamination of a public waterway happened so we avoided that and uh we lived to see another day we fumbled on the ramp it was it was just a good old time hey that's that's boating dude that's a family boating day <laughs> if there ever was one for sure but uh, at the end of the day everyone had fun and you you do it again dude in a heartbeat for sure so funny um, well i think one of the last things we had to talk about was the uh, schedule came out right yep yep i got Spoiler. a couple of random random deals i'll save for the end but the uh bass pro tour schedule's out for next year and it's it's pretty cool you know a lot of people saw floating around uh the internet yesterday but i'll run through it real quick and if there's any any that you guys think are interesting or want to make a note on let me know but the first the oh, go ahead rob what I find interesting, they don't put states on there. <clears throat> and I don't remember the last schedule I looked at and had a question in which state that lake was in, the body cool. of water. It is cool. The only, I mean, I figured it out. It's got to be Louisiana because of the DR bone. Like, there's not a, yeah. so, but I just find that interesting. I mean, these are bodies of water that I don't think I've heard of. And I that's think that's cool. kind of cool. So that was definitely, I mean, Hey, that's one of the things that, that they're trying to do is just add, add a little bit of newness because, Hey man, it's hard to find a new lake to fish a tournament on. It's there've been national tournaments, you know, going on for the last 40 years and um, all the good bodies of water people figure exposed. it out and they go and start having tournaments there. Right. So, yep. um, but you know, this first one, it's early February in Louisiana on Caney Creek, Lake Darbone and Bussy break. And uh, I personally don't know a ton about those lakes other than just seeing what, what's been caught the last couple of years. And just if you do some Googling on those bodies of water and look for tournament results in February and March, it's unbelievable. So it's going to be wet. Anytime you're fishing in, the, in early spring like that, it's very weather dependent. It could be really tough if you have major cold front. You could have ice that time of year. You could have everything. But if it lines up right, literally could be one of the best tournaments of all time so uh it's going to be cool there there have been a lot of high 30 pound bags caught on those on those lakes over the last couple of years that time of year so uh it won't be a great like i don't think you're gonna see crazy numbers but some toads and then following it up at lake fork right after that so same deal i mean dude it's you're not going to see guys catching 30 a day but it's pre-spawn and if you can be a guy to figure out how to get bit and catch 10 a day you're going to catch some giants pre-spawn at Lake Fork. Um, Lewis Smith Lake in Alabama in March, that's going to be cool because it's uh, got some big spotted bass in it. And same thing, it's pre-spawn, the spotted bass bite. Well, we went there post-spawn a couple of years ago. 
and caught a lot of small fish. The, they just weren't set up. It was post-spawn, tough time of year. I think it's going to be a better tournament. Um, Red Crest in March is at Grand Lake in Oklahoma. Dude, I feel bad uh, for James. So I'm, I'm excited for him because we're going to Grand. Uh, James Elam, you know, my buddy, travel partner, has been on the podcast a couple times. Grand is his home lake. He knows it like the back of his hand. He's a killer there. He, he has won a bunch of tournaments there. His dad won a bunch of tournaments there. Now this is three years in a row there's been a tournament scheduled for Grand Lake. So it's completely off limits for info for him. Oh. So he can't go home and talk to his dad about Grand. He can't talk to his best buddy. It's, it's like us talking about Roosevelt. Imagine us not being able to talk about Roosevelt for three years. It would be worth it if I could actually fish a tournament on Roosevelt. But right. in James' case, there have been extenuating <laughs> circumstances, flooding the first time and then COVID the second time to cancel the tournaments. So it's been <laughs> off limits to info for three years, and he's never even had the tournament. So uh, with any luck, he'll get his his tournament. It's going to be a big one. Red Crest, he's looking good to qualify, and it uh, looks like we both have a really good chance to qualify and fish it. So um, Nice. Yeah, that'll be good. But imagine, like, sitting at the dinner table with your dad who all you've ever done is fish grand with him. It's all that since their life. Right. And then you just can't talk about it for three, for years. three years. A lot of awkward silence. <laughs> Hilarious. I mean, I've been at the dinner table with them and uh, his dad would be like, you know, I'll be like, you've been doing any crappie fishing. He's like, yeah, at a lake we can't talk about, you know, it's just like, uh. oh, so then you're like, Great. how about them Thunder? Exactly. They're going to win 20 games this year. <laughs> yeah. Remember when uh, Westbrook and uh, Harden and uh, Durant? Yeah. Um, and then uh, so after that, we're going to uh, Lake Palestine for heavy hitters. That'll be an awesome big fish tournament. We go to Lake of the Ozarks the first week of May. So that'll be my first time there. And, uh, you know, I'm such a fan of the movie Ozark, even though it wasn't filmed there. Um, you can still pretend. Just keep exactly. your eyes out. I'm just going to live and pretend that it – yeah, exactly. You're going to sleep we're on with one eye Ozark. open there. That's right. Exactly. Ruth's going to come by in a wakeboarding boat and swamp all the stuff. Be on the lookout. <laughs> we'll be at uh, Watts Bar Lake in Tennessee. Speaking of John June. Murray. Yeah. Yep, yep, John's licking his chops, absolutely yep. licking his chops. A couple of those Tennessee guys are for that one. That's a new body of water that we've never really had a national tournament at. I've never made a cast there, so that'll be cool. If that place shows out, it's going to probably – John will probably hate that it's there just because it's going to get popular, you know? Yeah, he can he can up his guiding charges. But True. <laughs> right, the reason he loves living there is it doesn't get hammered like Chickamauga. Kind of under the radar, right? Chickamauga totally is, so – yeah. Um, Any Sturgill cool. Simpson fan will be excited too. He has a great song about Watts Bar oh, called, really? Pan, called Pan Bowl. Every time I listen to that, I think of John and Watts Bar, and now it's going to be on the map. Nice. I'll have to look that up. Stage six at Cayuga Lake in uh, Union Springs, New York. That's probably the top largemouth lake in the Northeast for big largemouth. Phenomenal lake. It's been a few years since we've been there. And then the last one is on Mille Lacs in uh, Minnesota, which is same thing, world-renowned, big smallmouth. Um, it's been since 2017 since we were there. So um, uh, that's, that's the one I've got circled. I'm most excited for that one for sure. Cool. But good schedule. Yeah. It looks like uh, a great schedule. Yeah, it's, it's spread out, very diverse. So um, still, you know, any, go ahead. 
for you, Josh, it, it, I don't like the fact that they lean away from all those small mouth stuff, but you know, just cause it, you know, that's in your wheelhouse, obviously Malax will line up for you, but um, yeah, it's kind of cool that they're just different, different types of bodies of water. So yeah, it's funny how it cycles like that, dude. Like, <clears throat> like one year you'll have a really heavy small mouth schedule like this year was, but it's rarely we get that two years in a row. Like uh, yeah. we had three small mouth tournaments this year. Next year it'll be one. Um, but it's, it's all good. Yeah. But as uh, a, as a fan, it gets, it gets old, man. Like the St. Lawrence, you just feel bad for those fish up there. They're just, <laughs> just getting their so good, heads right? beat in. Sure. There's like fish, 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 fish. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of big tournaments there and imagine how many small tournaments it's like, it's going to have an effect on those bodies of water. I hear at you. Some point. I hear you. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. So um, it is nice to see a little change in some of these, like Cayuga. Sure. It'll just be cool to see Cayuga again, just yep. and more largemouth focused for a change. You're right. Uh, one thing, the one thing I did want to ask you guys to see if you've been following, just because it's absolute comedy. I know neither of you guys are golfers, but um, have you seen the feud between Brooks Kepka, Brooks Kepka, and Bryson DeChambeau? I have not. All right. Sorry. So a lot of the listeners, and I won't go super deep into it, but I had to bring it up because there was something really funny that happened this week about it. But these are two of the top golfers in the world. Um, two of the top five players in the world. I think I'm pretty safe to say that they're both probably in their mid to late thirties. Um, Bryson DeChambeau is a very unique individual and it has a very unique approach to golf he used to be a tall wiry dude like me and he takes he he's so analytical he's not afraid to break the mold and try a different club than most other guys will use like he just does things really differently his swing looks really weird he putts really weird but he's he's phenomenal well uh, a few years a couple years ago he thought he figured out that, hey, if I can pack on like 30, 40 pounds of muscle and, and keep my mechanics whatever which way, I could, I could drive farther than everyone else. So he did, man. He went and packed on 30 or 40 pounds of muscle, got absolutely huge, and, and started dominating. So um, anyways, he, he goes through this whole process, and the whole time – he, he's a very unlikable guy. And the reason for that is he's constantly, he loves to blame others, constantly making comments. Um, there's a, a lot of the younger guys on the PGA tour. It's a pretty cool dynamic. They're friends. They, they joke with each other. Um, it's really like, it's just a really seems like a fun environment right now on the PGA tour. And he is not, in one that. of the guys he is the guy he's the outcast and uh it, but he's brought it on to himself man he's and brooks kepka he absolutely makes brooks skin crawl you know they've gone head to head a bunch of times um in tournaments and like he just makes he brooks you, does not like him so and i think the fans lead much more on brooks side than Bryson's side, just because he's such an unlikable guy. He's, you know, he had an issue with Cobra is his uh, golf club sponsor. And Cobra has been, he's got such a unique swing and he's such a unique player that he can't use like a normal driver. So they've been bending over backwards trying to design a driver for him. 
and they probably, I mean, they pay millions of dollars to work with them, right? Um, but it's a, it's, it's a relationship, they need each other, right? He needs them. And uh, there was a tournament not too long ago, he was not driving the ball well, and he was just purely blaming Cobra for it, not himself, right? Like, How does that you know, happen? Dude, How- it was unbelievable. Like, like the uh, president of marketing or whatever of Cobra had to go out and say, and make a comment about it. Like, you know, we really hate when Brooks makes harmful comments like this about us and blah, blah, blah. But anyways, <laughs> he just does this stuff all the time. And dude, what's hilarious is a lot of the fans of the PGA tour are going to tournaments and uh, they're going. So when Bryson is like walking through a gallery of people or, or, you know, to a tee box or from the tee box or just around people, they go, Hey, Brooksy, Brooksy. And, <laughs> and uh, they chirp him, dude. And they call him Brooksy, even though his oh. name is Bryson because Brooks is like his nemesis. So oh. uh, dude, all you hear when he's at these events is, Hey, Brooksy, Brooksy. And it drives him. He can't handle it, dude. He can, so what has happened now is uh, apparently the PGA tour just this week announced that, um, you get kicked out if you say Brooksy. If you say, huh. hey, Brooksy, uh, you're not allowed to say that. And What a uh, shame. It's a shame the that tournament. they have They to... call it harassment, dude. Oh. <laughs> One of the funniest, dude, It's and golf is not a stale sport. I've always loved golf, but a lot of people look at it as a stale sport. And this is like one of the funniest thing that's, like coolest things that's ever happened in golf. And, and, and they shut it down. Yeah heckling anyways yeah it's like that's a total it's a sport like all sports that's what sports is all about right like when you're a fan you want the inside scoop like the headlines are always fun and you follow like who's doing what and who's doing the best but that's what makes it entertaining is like the human side of it right oh yeah if you guys want to laugh dude just go back through just start just google watch some of the things like it's it's absolutely classic dude they uh they've had quite the battle going on over the last year and it's it's really like uh fun to watch as, as a non-diehard golf fan I, I it cracks me up big time does that does that have any carryover like i'm trying to think who has beef with each other on you know competitive bass fishing and i'm kind of drawing a blank in this day and age I, rob's nodding aggressively he just knows we're not going to get a straight answer but i want to know who i the, guarantee the there's guys is. like that oh yeah dude yeah they're <laughs> all big time and uh and yeah that's definitely one that's probably better off not bringing up especially the current ones <laughs> but uh yeah, dude. Uh, that might be one that I just think about a little bit and we revisit. I'll try to think of some okay. that I can bring up and we like, maybe revisit it next Rob podcast. Rob might I'm have like, one right on the tip of his tongue. I can see him rocking and rolling. You anything got any on like old a local school? level or something you could think of, Rob? Yeah, an old school. I'm just going to label it bass fishing beef. <laughs> BFB. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything that I can talk about that I know yeah. of right off, but... But that does make it fun, though. It's always funny. You know, I, Rob, you had me laughing when we first met. Uh, one of your buddies would go up to people in the line at a weigh-in and look at their bag and say that's pretty good for them. I've never let that inside. <laughs> I've never let that inside joke go. That's as good for you. It's like such an insulting, arrogant thing to say. I, I say it on the regular, and I and it's I how it. you say it too. You oh, every be, yeah. You'd be like, huh? That's that's pretty good for you. <laughs> Just dismissive and yeah. like yeah. yeah so good yeah dude i'll never forget i told you guys this and i'll leave the i'll leave uh the name out of it but uh maybe six or seven six years ago at the classic um i had had a good first day and i'm walking by 
one of the other fishermen and he goes, good job, Josh. And just like the way he said, like, nice job, Bertrand. And I was like, screw you, dude. Like, I mean, dude, that like tone it was, was it like it was a miracle that it happened. That, dude. Yeah. Right. Oh, man, I'll never forget it, dude. Okay, now I'll we need to forget name. it. Oh, man, I'll tell you afterwards. I know. But I was funny. like, damn, dude, what the hell is your problem, man? You didn't expect that, huh? Hey, good for you to be so confident to just be like to push it off. I probably have too much softness in me that I'd be like second guessing myself instantly. So nice job staying tough. Whatever, dude. Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, fun, fun episode, guys. You guys have anything else before we wrap it up? Rob, hope you catch it, man. I'm excited to hear about your yeah. uh, escapades. And uh, I hope to be able to put my pontoon boat on the trailer uh, correctly on the fourth try, not the 14th try for the next episode. And uh, yeah. Heck yeah. Right on. Well, uh, thank you guys again for tuning in. Keep sending the questions and yeah. uh, we will talk to you all next week.